0: this is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg
1: Radio.
2: The Trump administration is seeking an emergency restraining order to block the sale of a tell-all book by John Bolton, President Trump's former national security advisor. The government claims the memoir contains classified information and that Bolton never got approval to have it published. But excerpts of the book have already been published by several major newspapers. Joining me is national security lawyer Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zate. The Department of Justice sought a preliminary injunction last night to block publication of the book. Why do they say they need this?
1: So the government's view here is that because they believe there's still classified information in this book, in the version that is set to be released on Tuesday there is going to be irreparable harm to U.S. national security if the book is allowed to actually come out. So they're attempting something that, to my knowledge, they've never actually tried to do. They're trying to halt the publication, not only by getting an injunction against the author, who's the person, John Bolton, who had the security clearance, but they're also trying to enjoin the publisher and all commercial resellers. They're trying to do it through an obscure federal provision that would allow them to basically end run around Supreme Court precedent from the Pentagon Papers days in terms of a prior restraint. The novel argument, it's almost certainly going to fail, and even if it was ordered by the judge uh, and tomorrow's hearing, it's almost certainly impractical and not going to be feasible to implement. The book is everywhere.
2: When they sued for breach of contract on Tuesday, I believe, they didn't seek Mm -hmm. an injunction at that point. Why didn't they seek an injunction at that point?
1: There will no doubt be some interesting uh, articles in the Times and the Post over the next couple days outlining the TikTok of how this all went down, because that was what we all thought at the beginning, was that when they didn't file the temporary restraining order then, that the argument about an injunction that was in the lawsuit was just a throwaway line. The real point of it was that it's a breach of contract, and they want all the monetary proceeds, which was fine, and was certainly going to happen anyways. But for whatever reason, they were delayed by 24 or 36 hours, whatever it was before they filed for the emergency TRO, and now it's almost kind of a situation of, one, why'd you wait this long? And two, what's the point? They've known for weeks this thing is coming out. They could have moved on this weeks ago if they truly were that concerned. The book's everywhere. Advanced copies are everywhere. You know, it's been shipped overseas probably at this point and is sitting with commercial resellers. How are you truly going to implement this and how much is this motion just an effort to put Donald Trump at ease that he got a pound of flesh.
2: The publisher said that they've shipped out hundreds of thousands of copies in this country and in the world. Has there ever been a case where they've said to the publisher, okay, bring those books back from third parties?
1: I'm not aware of there ever being a case where they've gotten an order to compel a publisher to do that. I'm sure they've asked. I know I'm, I mean, they've, they've, met, they've mentioned it at times to uh, some of our clients that try to, to ask for it, but it never happens because the client no longer has control over the book at that point. It's in the control of the publisher. Um, the only thing that comes even close was that 10 years ago, the Pentagon literally bought up 10,000 copies of a book that had been initially approved. And then the last minute the re- approval was rescinded. And so instead of trying to, you know, and get an injunction, they literally bought up all the copies of the book and just shredded them. But that's the closest you know, example there is to what's going on here. This is very much an unprecedented situation.
2: Let's go, go back a moment. There are conflicting stories or explanations of whether or not this book went through the review process at the White House. So explain what a review process would be like and what you understand about what this book went through.
1: Sure. So the normal process that anybody who has held a security clearance with the U.S. government, and particularly anybody who has held the level of access that someone like John Bolton would have had, which is access to sensitive compartmented information, is that you draft your manuscript. Believe it or not, you're allowed to draft it at home on your own computer, even though later on it has to be submitted for review. You draft it on your own computer and you submit it to the agency that held your clearance. You know, in this case, because John Bolton was the National Security Advisor, He submits it to the National Security Council. It goes through an administrative review. They read the entire book. They go through it line by line. They consult with relevant subject matter experts to see what is and is not still properly classified. Because the person is no longer a federal employee, because John Bolton obviously had left, the only thing that can be redacted is properly classified information. Everything else that's unclassified, doesn't matter if it would implicate executive privilege, anything like that, that cannot be redacted. All that can be redacted is classified information. The agency will respond back to the individual. Sometimes they'll say the book's ready to go. Here's your final written approval. Other times they'll come back and say, we have all kinds of revisions and edits that need to be made for classified information. They'll have meetings with you sometimes. Depends on the situation. Depends on the circumstance. Sometimes it can take weeks. Sometimes it can take years. The point is, until you get to the end, until you have gotten a final approval letter in writing from the agency saying your book is ready to go, feel free to publish, you have not completed the process. John Bolton never got that letter.
2: In the uh, breach of contract lawsuit, they say that not only didn't he wait for the review process to finish, but even before the publication, he shared the
1: manuscript. Yeah, so this whole thing with how he shared the manuscript with the lawyers and with the editors and the publisher in advance, that happens a lot. We certainly don't advise it in terms of we don't ask the client to ever give it to us various reasons. But a lot of people do that because the guidance that's given to individuals on how to do this is horribly poor and really not clear. So people don't know any better. And usually the agencies don't care. You know, it's that's a risk they just assume is part of the realities of life. So long as the person ultimately goes through the whole process, gets the proper approval in writing from the agency and only publishes that approved version, they kind of dismiss those errors in the earlier parts of the process as part of reality and assumption of risk in a free society like this. But they're allowed here because Bolton didn't get that final approval to bring it up to ding him because he did what he's not technically supposed to do.
2: So then does the Trump administration have a good case against him in the breach of contract lawsuit?
1: Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the breach of contract claim by the government is open and shut. They will win that argument. John Bolton's going to bring up some bad faith and unclean hands, defenses. They've been tried before in other pre-publication review cases. They always fail. The simple fact is the process wasn't done. It doesn't matter what was said to him verbally. doesn't matter what reassurances he was given. Until you have that final written letter, you have not completed the process. And therefore, he breached his contract. The government will get all financial proceeds.
2: It's been reported that Bolton got a $2 million advance for the book. So would the government get that money?
1: The book advance is something different because that's usually given in advance. So assuming that was given as an advance, then no, that would be more complicated because he presumably already took that deposit into a bank account. It's been dispersed various places. I've never seen them go after the book advance. What they will go after is all proceeds from the sale of the book. So every time someone buys John Bolton's book, the money won't go to him. It will go to the U.S. Treasury. If he negotiates a TV deal or a movie series based off the book, all proceeds from that would go to the U.S. Treasury.
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
2: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Bolton's publisher called the request for a preliminary injunction a frivolous, politically motivated exercise in futility. You agree with that? It's futile?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, reading through that preliminary injunction motion, the first 25 pages are irrelevant because they're all about how John Bolton breached and how John Bolton, you know, should be enjoined. And if I'm the judge, I'm saying that's great. You can enjoin John Bolton from publishing anything to your blue in the face. He's not. He has no control over it at this point. The control is given to the publisher. You didn't sue the publisher. you sued John Bolton. And if you want to impose a prior restraint on, on the publisher, you have to meet the standards set forth in the 70s under the Pentagon Papers case. You have to demonstrate this overwhelming need, this uh, irreparable harm to national security that the government couldn't do back then. You'd have to do it now. And they haven't necessarily made that presentation. They're trying to circumvent it with this obscure federal rule, Rule 65D, which I didn't even know existed until (laughs) yesterday. That's not likely going to fly with Judge Lambert.
2: They have said that the book is rife with classified information, and President Trump said it's highly classified. But he also said, I will consider every conversation with me as president highly classified. Do we know from what's come out so far whether this is really classified? I mean, suppose he's talking to the Chinese premier. Are all those conversations classified?
1: So as you can already see from what's come out in the excerpts of what was already approved in the original version, what the pre-publication review folks had already authorized, all kinds of conversations Bolton had with the president have not been redacted as classified because that's the president who can have his own view of what should be classified plays blue in the face unless he's going to personally intervene to implement it That's not the reality of how it works. And the security officials who are making these determinations aren't adhering to any kind of standard like that. They have to adhere to the actual executive order. So, you know, by and large, a lot of what this is going to come down to with the president's tweets is going to be irrelevant in the civil case. It might become relevant in the criminal case if John Bolton gets indicted. Because if the president in his tweets keeps identifying particular allegations from the book and saying, these never happened, it's going to undermine any case for the government to say it's properly classified, because by and large, this has never been litigated, so it's going to be another unprecedented case. By and large, you can't classify knowingly false information.
2: That was going to be one of my questions. You got ahead of me, because I was considering that. If it's not true, then how can it be exposing a secret?
1: Yeah, there's an open debate about this. So there's never been a case where it's ever been litigated on that front. We don't actually have any standard on it. There have been situations where the agencies have classified works of fiction, where the entire book was a work of fiction, but particular facts came too close to the reality of what something was that the author would have known about to get their clearance, that they had that the ANC imposed some redactions. But I've never heard of them saying they're going to classify as secret, top secret, whatever a piece of information, you know, describing a conversation the president had that they know never happened. That doesn't mean they can't try. It would make for fascinating case law. I've never seen it happen.
2: Tell us about the criminal case against Bolton. I sort of dismissed that as overreach. What is the criminal case against
1: him? Well, so they can certainly bring a criminal case against him for unauthorized disclosure of classified information in the sense that the book itself still contains, according to the government, various classified information. And the book is set to be published for the world to buy and see starting on Tuesday. That isn't an authorized dissemination of classified information. He held a clearance. He put it in the book. It didn't get redacted. It's going out to the world. That's the criminal charge. In the criminal case, unlike in the civil case, Bolton would have the ability to challenge how the classification determinations were made. And he particularly would be able to harp on how the internal review initially cleared the book, and then a higher-level reviewer intervened and overrode that internal decision and found additional information to be classified. That doesn't mean that that overruling was bad or illegitimate, but in a criminal case, John Bolton would be able to probe into that and try to challenge that and challenge the propriety of the classification determination.
2: What do you think of his statements about impeachment, that Trump did other things? And yet, as I recall, he didn't want to testify at the impeachment.
1: Yeah, John Bolton is nobody's hero. And there is nobody who is happy with John Bolton in either way. Neither the left nor the right care about John Bolton right now. And a lot of where he's describing things, saying that, you know, the House Democrats committed malpractice by not expanding the scope of impeachment, the response from House Democrats has pretty much been, how the heck were we supposed to know about these kinds of things because you refuse to testify? We aren't mind readers. We rely on people providing testimony, documents, and information. So we didn't know about some of these very disturbing allegations that are coming out of the book. And again, they're just allegations. We don't know if this is in fact true. And some of it is, speaks more to you know, the president being a vile and potentially unethical person, but not necessarily committing an impeachable offense cheering on the the premier of China, establishing concentration camps is vile, but not necessarily impeachable. You know, that's one of those things where John Bolton will not come out of this smelling like roses. I don't think John Bolton cares. He just wanted the story told.
2: He's doing these interviews now where he's saying what he said in the book and, and amplifying in some cases. How does that fit into this whole picture?
1: Well, he's doing the media interviews and he's doing this whole rollout. In anticipation of a potential effort to silence him if there is a preliminary injunction, know um, that's why he's pre-taping these various interviews so that he no longer has any control over it. And you know he can say, "You can enjoy me till the end of time." I don't have any control over what CBS does, or I don't have any control over what ABC does at this point. He's going to try to hype the book as much as he can. He doesn't care. I don't think John Bolton cares about the money. John Bolton has millions of dollars already. He's, he's well off. He doesn't need the money in the sale of this book. He wants the story out there. And if that means doing a media tour, then he'll do a media tour.
2: One of Trump's nieces is planning a tell-all book as well. Apparently Trump said that years ago she signed an NDA too. Explain the difference between what the niece may write and Bolton's situation.
1: Sure. So what John Bolton is implicated in is a government non disclosure agreement. So when you serve in the U.S. government, the only time you have to sign a non disclosure agreement is if you hold a security clearance. Um, if you hold the U.S. government security clearance, one of the various, various documents you'll have to review and fill out is what's called an SF 312. Which is a non-disclosure agreement, and if you have the level of access John Bolton had, which was for sensitive compartmented information, you sign an additional non-disclosure agreement, particular to the SCI. Those non-disclosure agreements have been found to be constitutional, and they only are allowed to be imposed to the extent that the information at issue is properly classified what is going on with the president's niece is a private non-disclosure agreement just like any number of people in the private world can craft between two parties and sign tied to litigation surrounding the estate of Fred Trump of Donald Trump's father and debates over how various assets were being allocated and who within the family was getting what money. Apparently, there was some litigation over that, as countless people do in the United States when they fight over a state and who gets the money from his dead relative. And as part of the conclusion of that litigation, apparently there was a non-disclosure agreement signed by various parties, including the president's niece. Now, there's not necessarily anything illegal about doing that, some parties might do it as a non disclosure agreement. Usually, I think it's just considered a confidentiality agreement, not to talk about the particular terms of what the settlement agreement was. I've never seen it as an NDA, but if you're Donald Trump, I'm sure that was just commonplace for him. He had everybody to do NDAs, that was his life.
2: Thanks, Brad. That's Bradley Moss, a partner at Mark Zaid. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to turn to the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg Radio.